0: Luke chapter 1 verses 57 to 66 record here that uh, Elizabeth's time of birth had arrived and she delivered to Zechariah a son as promised by God through the angel Gabriel who met with him there in the temple. As a consequence of the birth of this boy, all, her, all of the neighbors and the relatives in their town and the surrounding area, there were rejoicing in the fact that God had showed his mercy in taking away her reproach. But here's the thing. God has a greater purpose for this boy. Not just to give him to... Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age, in answer to their many prayers, remember Gabriel had said, God has heard your prayers, and Elizabeth will have a son. This boy is a significant change of events. He marks a significant change of events. In obedience to God, the child was then circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the law of Moses, at which time they publicly announced his name. We read here that they, I think referring to the relatives and neighbors, would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother objected. Uh, his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. John. There in verses 59 and 60. Hearing this, the people were shocked and objected. None of your relatives are called by that name. And what follows next has always amused me. Remember, Zechariah lost his ability to speak, not to hear. Yet the people presumed that since he was speechless, he was also deaf. So they made signs, I, it always tickles me, they made signs to uh, Zechariah, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So asking for a writing tablet, he wrote his name is John, that's In verses 62 and 63. Immediately, his speech returned. And he spoke and blessed God. Verse 64. This scene here provoked in those who observed it some shock and fear. It tells us. The events they were witnessing were... Clearly unusual and of a supernatural nature. Something that they were not accustomed to seeing. Thus, they, take, they took the word and spread it throughout all the hill country of Judea, of Judea there. And everyone wondered about this. Because it was pretending something from God. Something they were even anticipating. Anticipating. In their long history. Luke records their wonderment. There in verse 66. What then will this child be? We have a tendency to play down John a little bit. But uh, we should not play him down. He was not long on the scene. But what he did was extremely... Signify, significant. It, the significance was in what was about to take place. Because after 400 silent years, there was now an expectancy that God was about to speak again. Now in this message, I want to draw your attention first to show how the saving work of God anticipated in the Old Testament was declared fulfilled in the coming of John and Christ. Second, we will examine the prophecy of Zechariah. This prophecy involves two things. First is a declaration that the Lord performed what he promised to Israel, even going back to the days of Abraham. Then secondly, it was a revelation that John was the prophet that Malachi predicted would announce the day of the Lord. When the sun of righteousness would arise, bringing the day of blessing upon the righteous, but at the same time, warning the stubborn of their need for repentance in Malachi it says that John would would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers and really that's a euphemism for repentance he would preach repentance repent for the day of the Lord is at hand the kingdom is at hand and we read here there in that very last uh, verse of uh, Malachi in the 6th verse of chapter 4. It says that uh, the Lord had, for those who refused to repent, He had placed them under the ban. Now, it's not how it reads there in the uh, in your English Bible, but let me explain to you. It, it. What it reads is, "...lest I come and strike the land..." With a decree of utter destruction. The Hebrew here. Language clearly refers to things that were devoted. Or set apart for destruction. If you're not going to repent. You will be put under the ban. Devoted. And set apart. For destruction. That is all those who failed. To keep the law of Moses. That's Malachi 4, 2-6. So let's get into it here. And first I want you to notice the significance of Zechariah's doubt. Uh, The the Scriptures are very clear that uh, this this served an important thing. A very important thing. And I want you to see this. The people of Israel, after expecting... Uh, excuse me, after experiencing the displeasure of God due to their obstinate sin and rebellion, were exiled in Babylon for 70 years. But sadly, after their return, they soon descended into the same spiritual neglect and disobedience that put them into the captivity to begin with. Malachi recorded the priests' half hearted service in the sanctuary. You know, the priests reflected the spiritual condition of the people themselves. So Malachi spends his efforts on the priests, if you, if you read that prophecy. And uh, what they were doing was, was really an insult to God. In, a, in devaluing their service and seeing it as worthless and unnecessary, they were despising the Lord's name, then thereby profaning it, that is, dishonoring and making that service common or unholy. What should have exalted Exalted the Lord and made his name great among the nations was by their attitude a weariness, as it states there, an oppressive burden. You say, what a weariness this is. You snorted it, says the Lord of hosts in Malachi 1 and verse 13. Do you you see your spiritual walk in that light? Is it a weariness? Is it a burdensome? Is it worthless? Is it kind of a perfunctory duty? We've got to go through it, but we're not really that excited about it. See, their enthusiasm failed because, and I believe this was the case, the remnant of those who returned was such a small community. This was nothing like it used to be. You recall when they built the temple, there was real confusion there in the people. Some were rejoicing and singing praise that God's temple was being restored, but there were others and a far greater number who were weeping and mourning and crying out in grief that this temple that was being rebuilt was nothing like the Temple of Solomon. That was destroyed. Ah. See. Now but. The problem here is that their, their attitude was wearing God's patience. And when warned of it. They th- replied in disbelief. Where is the God of justice? That's Malachi 2.17. And by which here they meant. Why. Isn't the Lord treating us right? Putting it back on Him. And in response, the Lord said, Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, see, there's a bit of sarcasm here. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. And hear more sarcasm. <laughs> they weren't seeking him and they certainly weren't delighting in him. Then the prophet asks, who can endure the day of his coming? That's Malachi 3, 2. The day of the Lord's messenger would be a time of purifying and refining, according to verse 3. The result would be that the sons of Levi would bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. This work would be pleasing to the Lord, and it would prompt him then to draw near for judgment against sorcerers, adulterers, liars, oppressors, and all who did not fear the Lord the question is when would this take place luke is telling us that it was taking place then in his day in in john's day when john came actually there's a twofold twofold fulfillment of this the first is at the lord's first coming and then at the lord's second coming And we, you see that played out there very clearly, even into the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The Lord then, after warning those who had turned aside from his statutes, pled with them, Return to me, and I will return to you. That's Malachi 3.6. And again, their response was more disbelief. How shall we return? And the Lord's response to them was, put me to the test. He challenged them. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out a blessing. Verse 10. In other words, put me first with enthusiastic devotion. Trust me. Obey me. Serve me. And again, their response was that it was vain to serve the Lord there being no benefit in their doing so so secondly here in contrast however there was a remnant a remnant who feared the lord and esteemed his name of these the lord took notice recording their names in his book and declaring they shall be mine says the lord of hosts in the day in notice the day when I make up my treasured possession. When, when is he going to make up his treasured possession? It began with the coming of Jesus Christ. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. In other words, you priests aren't serving Me. And the people aren't serving Me. But there is a remnant who does serve Me. And they are going to be called My sons. And I'm going to bless them. And then, at that time, when when Jesus comes, you're going to be able to, to make that distinction between Him who serves Me and the righteous. And between the righteous and the wicked, the one who serves me and the one who does not serve me. This prophecy was what Luke now shows to be fulfilled. And and that is very clear in Zechariah's prophecy. I'm going to show you that. This prophecy here uh, was, uh, was to show who were the true people of God. So now in preparation for this day of the Lord... The remnant nation here that God uh, would would come forth after God's silence for four hundred years, four hundred years, and uh, I, I may be uh, take, taking a leap here, but uh, the number four is the number of created order. You know there are four seasons, four directions, four dimensions. Four is Earth is the Number of the created order. 100 is the number of God's election to the children of promise, of the children of promise. Four times 100 is 400. God was silent for 400 years. This silence ended when no less than the archangel Gabriel, who stood before the Lord in in heaven, came into the temple. And stood beside the altar of incense while Zechariah ministered to announce to Zechariah that the Lord had heard his prayers and that he would have a son. And it's no coincidence that upon revealing to Zechariah that the Elijah promised in Malachi was to be born to barren Elizabeth that Zechariah responded with doubt and disbelief. He was acting just like the priests of Malachi's day. How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? God's response to the priests. See, what the priests were doing, in effect... Was shutting God's mouth. God was pleading with them, Return to me and I will return to you. And they were saying, What's the use? We doubt you, we disbelieve you. So God shut his mouth for 400 years. Now he comes to Zechariah and announces to him an answer to his prayer. And what was Zechariah's response? How can this be? How can I be sure of it? But this time instead of God's silence, he silenced Zechariah. But there's a, there's a, a distinct difference here. In this judgment, it was not wrath. but mercy. And this mercy is indicated by the fact that after his tongue was loosed, his response was blessed to bless the Lord. Luke informs us that grace was extended to Zechariah in that he was filled with the Spirit and began to prophesy. Wow. The very first prophetic utterance in 400 years came from Zechariah's mouth. A doubtful priest changed by God to prophesy in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. God spared him as a son who serves him. Wow! And here is a glorious truth. God was speaking again. He was speaking again. Now let's turn our attention to the to the prophecy and to its implications. This is verses sixty-seven to seventy-nine. Two things here are contained in this prophecy. And. The first here is that it was announced that the Lord had visited and redeemed his people. The Lord has visited and redeemed his people. The second here is that Zechariah's son, John, would would fulfill the final words of Malachi. The first part's directed as a general prophecy, but the second part there is directed to, and you, son, is directed to John the Baptist. His appearance would uh, anticipate the Lord's giving the knowledge of salvation and bringing light into the darkness of the Gentile world for the purpose of guiding the people of God into the way of peace. Wow. So first notice here, Zechariah's blessing of the Lord. He opens his mouth and he blessed the Lord. It says, Here, uh, Blessed be the God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. Two things, actually two things are said here. He has visited and redeemed His people. And second, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. I'll explain both of those here. Observe here then that... uh, uh, He speaks here of the God of Israel. That's the first thing that you're you're to notice. Obviously, Zechariah is speaking in the in an old covenant context that identified the people of God as Israel, which means God prevails. God prevails keep that in mind the nations messianic expectations were high and about to be realized however the holy spirit delivered a message through his servant that was in keeping with his covenant promises to abraham as he as he states down here that he, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies and so on. Now here, this is what it, where I believe is significant. His holy covenant, as he, he speaks of it here, by which he then promised that, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a promise. Now, modern evangelicals have argued here that God has two peoples. Because he spoke here of Israel, the God of Israel. So God has two peoples. He has a physical people on this earth, Israel. And He has a spiritual people, the church. And these two are not to be confused with each other. No no way. And the church is, although often composed of both believing Jews and Gentiles, even in this gospel era, as we see clearly from the book of Acts. Thus, these folks like to see this covenant with Abraham in a broad, as a broader covenant with the nation itself, in view, and they and so they argue that uh, uh, God's words here: "I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse." They make that to apply to the whole nation, not just Abraham. Here's the problem. (laughs) So they warn us, don't make the mistake of despising the Jewish people or you will suffer the curse of God. Him Him that blesses you, I will bless, and him that curses you, I will curse. Ah. But... The problem here is that the Hebrew pronoun for you is masculine singular. It refers to Abraham alone. And I guess the purpose of this is to suggest that any who disagree with their premise that God has two peoples are guilty of dishonoring Israel. Not the case at all. God is going to greatly bless the nation of Israel in this, in this whole situation. At least those who are the remnant, those who feared his name. The New Testament, as we noted from last week's message there on Mary's song, clearly identifies Israel as spiritual. Not physical. Physical. Identifying those who believe, as Abraham believed, to be those who are the true children of Abraham, as we noted here in Romans chapter nine, verses six to eight, not all who are descended physically from Israel belong to Israel, and not all the children of Abraham, physical descendants, now. Uh, not all not all the children not all our children of abraham physical descendants because they are his offspring see it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of, of god but the children of the promise are counted as the offspring what was the promise in you shall all the families of the earth, be blessed. Again, it is of those, this is from Galatians 3, 7-9, it is, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Thus Israel, I really believe, is to be understood as the people blessed of God with saving faith from every tribe and language and people and nation, and of them of Him, of uh, and of whom He has made a kingdom. there in Revelation five nine and ten, He has made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign with him forever on earth. I believe the new heavens and the new earth. Now Paul blessed this God and in further detail gives uh, gives us there in, in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Notice there, the adoption of sons, that his sons might serve him. So Zechariah here proclaimed that the Lord had raised up, up. it's this past tense. He has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation. For us. A horn here is a metaphor. This is the second aspect of it. The horn is a metaphor for power. The horn of salvation. I I really think is an indirect reference to the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. The picture is here of King David, who is a mighty warrior... Going forth, doing battle against the Lord's enemies, and he with his horn, a trumpet, see the trumpet, and which signals, uh, you know, the call to arms, and also signals the victory. Here's a horn of salvation, which is a metaphor for the power of God. This horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. There, verse sixty-nine. This is a clear reference, again, to Jesus Christ who descended humanly from David and has raised up for us on the day of Pentecost the the work of the Holy Spirit. And notice here in the Greek, it's in the past tense. And this is significant because here it's used in a prophetic sense. It's prophetically of something promised, but not yet a reality, certain to be accomplished. So Zechariah is saying, folks, what you have looked for and anticipated is a done deal, even though it is not fully played out yet. And it's still not fully played out yet. It's still being accomplished. It's still being accomplished. So, notice also that this horn of salvation relates to the house of David and that its purpose is that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Here again, there was confusion in this for they thought that, that the Messiah Jesus from the house of David would conquer their Gentile overseers. We just... Just reading there from, uh, I think it was in Ezra there, where, where he confesses we're no longer free. We are, we, we are under the, our oppressors, and we will always be. We want to be free from them, to be our own people again. Well, God said, no, that's not going to be. But we are under now the Lord Jesus Christ and he saves us from the hand of our enemies and from from the hand of those who hate us and this relates to the davidic covenant indicating that his people that is the church is the is the eschatological dynasty of david prevailing over its enemies nobody can keep you from salvation if God has chosen you for Himself, no one can defeat you in that salvation because He is going to sanctify you and preserve you and keep you until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, you will be persecuted. You may even give up your life in that persecution. But to die, as Paul says, is to gain. we will be taken immediately into glory. Dean Davis has written here, while Zechariah himself may have understood these words ethnically, and in terms of a latter-day deliverance from Rome, we now see their larger meaning. We know that Christ has delivered us from far greater enemies, the wrath and retribution of god the world the flesh and the devil the hands of our persecutors and the curse that has fallen upon the world due to the fall this is from his personal correspondence to me this visitation of god upon his people is in fulfillment of his covenant promises which would grant them, being delivered from the hand of their enemies, they might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. How many times are we admonished? Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. We can serve Him. We will serve Him. In righteousness and holiness all our days, pursuing holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So we ask, does this characterize us? Does this characterize your life? And lastly, this brings us then to the prophetic instruction to John, here, his son, there in verses 76 to 79. And here Zechariah declares that John will be a prophet of the Most High. The second coming, as it were, of Elijah and the last Old Covenant prophet, as Jesus declared there, the law was until John. So he's closing the Old Covenant era. But he, was all, he is also the forerunner to prepare the way for the Messiah who was to come. And he describes it here as giving the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of the sins of his people. When John began his ministry, he was in the wilderness. And he comes out to the river Jordan and begins to preach. And the crowds gathered to him. And he preaches to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sin. For why? Christ is coming. The Messiah is coming. You need to be ready. And the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Judgment's coming. Be prepared. See, this is that repentance of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers and so on. Malachi had promised also, and notice here he says, uh, to give the, the knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That's Zechariah's prophecy. And in uh, Malachi. We we read of the promised son of righteousness shall arise with healing in its wings. There in chapter four verse two. And while this could be a reference to Christ, I I don't think that the the son of righteousness is the is Christ. Although I've seen many who have pointed to that, but notice what I why I believe that. It could be a reference to Christ, but I think it's better to see it as the light of the gospel coming into the darkness to give the knowledge of salvation. Because that's what he said before that. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby, by this, then the sunrise has visited us. The light has... Arisen and shone upon us, this Son of righteousness to arise with healing in its wings. And I think this is supported there by Dan by Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which reads, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them the light has shone. Yeah. We close this message here with the the words of Cyril of Alexandria. He was an early church father and he wrote in his commentary, For those under the law and dwelling in Judea, John the Baptist was a lamp preceding Christ. God also spoke of him in a similar way. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. Psalm 132 verse 17. The law also typified him in the lamp. In the first tabernacle, it was necessary for the lamp to always remain lit. But the Jews, being after being pleased with John for a short time, flocking to his baptism and admiring his mode of life, quickly made him sleep in death, doing their best to extinguish the ever-burning lamp Therefore, the Savior also spoke of him as a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John 5.35 So John here exemplifies our service as a witness of the gospel. Some rejoice to see the light but after a time they reject it for their former lifestyle. Others love the darkness because their deeds are evil and they will not come to the light lest their deeds should be reproved. Is it no wonder then that the world hates the light and those who lift it high? Yes, we will, like Christ, be hated and rejected because of the light of truth. We will even pay with our lives as John did. Because we have already overcome our enemies in our warrior David. With his horn of salvation. So we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 57 and 58. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not like the priests of the old covenant there in Malachi who says it's vain to serve the Lord. What profit is there in this? We go through this this routine and it's just wearisome to us. Oh, what a difference. What a difference the gospel makes. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning rejoicing that You broke the silence after the 400 years and You raised up a priest who doubted you at first, but then praised you and blessed you and prophesied that all that you had promised of blessing to Israel had come to pass in John and Jesus. Lord, we want to follow in their steps. We want to walk in the light we want to rejoice in your salvation Lord we want to be a witness to you holding the light high in this sin darkened world that seems to grow darker by the day we are the light of the world we are a city set on the hill let the Lord lights be burning let the Lord lights be burning and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.